This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. And in honor of Pride Month, which continues with this episode, I decided that the. Well, I'm proud every month. You are pr- you're prideful every month, which is different that's, than proud. That's mean. No, no, I'm also proud. <laughs> prideful well, is a nasty. That was a mean thing to say, Christopher Rice, particularly on I, I, Pride well, Month. <laughs> I'm going in on myself with my own self-loathing because I listened to some previous episodes, uh, which begin with me saying hi, and I decided that I sounded um, too gay because that's the kind of abusive shit I grew up with. Not from my family, of course. You are gay, you know, so like I'm not sure that however you sound would have to be gay because... You are I'm gay. Blanche. Right. Right. Like, yeah, I'm gay. So even if you talked like this, you'd still be gay. So this would be sounding gay because that's gay. It's sort of like that stupid thing, straight acting. Like, right. I'm sorry. I, I, so that, so if you're having sex with women, then you're not gay. And if you're having sex with men, even if, you know, you're a construction worker who can bend steel bars with his teeth, <laughs> you're still gay so that becomes gay acting you know i just i, right, it's one yeah, of the, I no, just yeah. think it's one of those logical conundrums that have been entrapping gay people all these years if you're gay you know you are blanche you just yeah. are well i'm glad i started off on a dark note given this is supposed to be the lighter side of gay pride given all of our uh, oh Pride my Month god! Given what so a bloodbath the rest of Christ. Gay Month has been, Jesus Christ! Yes. Gay Month <laughs> finally going to be month. Pride, right? It's it's um April, uh, January, February, April, May, Gay, <laughs> Gay. I like Gay Month. I want that more over Pride, but you know, yeah, the other letters of the alphabet would probably not like that. But I like gay. here. We're going to call it Gay Month. Our our fourth or fifth gay month episode is now it's right now you're listening to it if you're listening to it later it'll probably make you gay because that's our aim here at tps is i remember when i was in college scientists i'm not sure which ones but i have some real suspicions about them released a study saying that disco music caused homosexuality in laboratory mice (laughs) <laughs> wait a minute wait 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 where is this study i don't know so, but i remember thinking that's the best study i ever heard more <laughs> disco music but let me ask did it cause dancing in laboratory mice and was the dancing what led to the homosexuality or did the, they just immediately the start butt only finding was that it caused hom- led to homosexuality caused homosexuality in laboratory mice but the picture of what does homosexuality in laboratory mice yes. look like Absolutely. What they immediately that started exactly? decorating their cages. They immediately started decorating. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I was crazy about it. that's that's my kind of science. That's the kind of science I'm into. They blinded you with science, didn't they? <laughs> science and disco. Absolutely. It was a double blind. It was a yeah. double blind study. Absolutely. Yes. It was really brilliant. I yeah. I loved that one. Yeah. Okay, so can we just talk about the 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 labor that went into the uh, construction of this episode, which we're technically we're constructing it now by actually making it. But I feel like we had perhaps a Facebook <laughs> miscommunication with our wonderful party people because we put out a solicitation for people's coming out stories, and I have to say, as the author of the post, I reread it several times to be sure that I had clearly worded our intentions. And we were inviting people to share their coming out stories or their being come out to stories as well. We were including everybody. Right. Yes. To post them as comments. And instead, what we got was a lot of comments that said, I'd love to tell my story, period. (laughs) 
and that was it. And they didn't sell our story. So I had to go back in and I had to add a comment saying, please share well, your story with us now. tell it then. Right. And so that some of them did, but some of them did not. And so if you're listening to this episode, which I think the secret's out that we record these episodes in advance because we're very busy men with rich, full lives never leaving the house during this pandemic, which is ongoing as we record this here in Southern California. But it's worth Um, noting that our houses are also our offices. So we have actually never had a day off of work, despite the fact that the rest of the world shut down. So yes, absolutely. So yes, we are, you know, we're really sad cases. It's been really really, tough to be us. It's been brutal. We are where your pity and focus should be during this. It's really been really, really sad. We're being snarky and sarcastic. It's the, uh, as we said earlier, we covered uh, several very hideous uh, hate crime murders. Blood-drenched <laughs> Pride Month. I mean, it has really been, yeah, there's been a series of really ugly moments. So now, the brighter side of Pride, for some, I would argue, coming out stories. That's why we asked for them on the Facebook page. Uh, we have two of our own. I'm going to make Eric go first because I like putting him on the spot. And he has a sort of sophisticated, nuanced answer to this question, which I know what it is because we've been friends for, I don't know, 20 years. Have we been friends for 20 years? Uh, Closing in on it. I think it's like 17 or 18 years this fall. Which is really strange because I'm only 26. So we got we I got to know Eric well, when I was very young. But you were 47 when I first met you. <laughs> so it's been counting down. <laughs> you know what, Eric? Why don't we just stick to the script here? I've had enough of your tomfoolery. I'm sorry, and your there was a script? <laughs> well, apparently not clearly enough for the people on who, Facebook whose stories who wrote we wanted. This shit? this script sucks i want to speak to the writers this this i saw somebody tweet recently this season of america needs a new showrunner at least at least at very least least, if not a hard cancel and a complete reboot on a new network yeah so back to coming out enough witty asides eric shaw quinn do you have a coming out story do you have a traditional coming I out I love story? that you are that you know what that I'm going to say. I'm like, God, I hope I tell the right thing. I, I don't really. I, you know, like. That's what I knew you were going to say. The, the, the story that I always, the thing that I always choose is the point at which it finally was clear to me. To you. Sort of, to me. Cause, yes. Because after that, I didn't make an effort to be somebody else. Right. You know, there was a moment when in uh, in, in ninth grade at W.J. Keenan High School in beautiful Columbia, South Carolina, um, maybe not the most um, nurturing environment to be a young gay man in the 70s, um, the 1870s, of course, I mean, um, I, at midterm... A young man named, I believe his name was Roy Slade. That's the way I remember it. Um, Transferred in from uh, Alaska. He'd been in school in Alaska and he transferred into our school. And he was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen. And I just knew. It was like, oh, oh, well, that happened. I mean, it was... I don't know, a more innocent time. I was a more innocent person. I didn't know a lot about all of the the ins and outs, uh, so to speak, of uh, sexuality. But I just knew that I, you know, that that was what that was what my heart wanted. And because I had lived in the place that I lived and in the world that I lived in, it was the worst news I could possibly have ever had. I was the worst thing in the world. I was all those horrible names. They called me on the playground. I was what everybody had accused me. of. It was a terrible, terrible thing. And so I decided like 13, I guess. I don't know how old you are when you're in ninth grade, but right along in there, I decided that I, that clearly dying was the best thing to do. And so I should kill myself. And so, because (laughs) 
I did not have any experience with that either. I stopped eating because I thought that was the way to kill yourself. I didn't know how else you would do it. Wow. And so I didn't eat for a couple of weeks. I only drank Coca-Cola and listened to Carpenter's records in my room and cried for about two weeks. And um, I lost a lot of um, unsightly baby fat that I'd been carrying for, <laughs> apparently for years. I didn't really notice that, but I did lose a bunch of weight. Um, and I realized that there had been a mistake. It occurred to me that I was actually a really nice person, that I was really a good person and that everybody believing that being gay, if I was gay, then everybody believing gay was a terrible thing was wrong. They were wrong because I wasn't a terrible person and I was gay. And so, although I don't know if we really said gay back then, I can't remember, but I don't think so. Anyway, I was, and I wasn't a terrible person. So I thought, well, I'm going to, I need to do everything I can to let people know that being gay isn't a bad thing because I'm not a bad thing and I'm gay. And so that was sort of, that's as much as I really had of coming out. I told my parents pretty early on, my father says 13 or 14. I think it was a little later than that. It was actually an argument it was not uh, a, right. How did you phrase it to them at that age? You know, honestly, I'm I don't know that I remember it as specifically. I was tired of um what I considered to be gay slurs remarks about mm-hmm. you know, like, well that seems really effeminate or that seems really gay or that seems really they wouldn't have said that seems really gay because nobody said that, but it was things that my mom particularly had said about um, my choices. I think out of concern that as we've been discussing, people might think I was gay, which would be a bad thing because people still believe that. And I was sick of hearing that. And that was basically how I came out. I told them I was gay and I was sick of hearing that. And I didn't want to hear that sort of stuff anymore. It wasn't a lovely, and this is charming... this 13. You were 13 when you said I that. I was maybe older than that. My father said that. I think I was older than that. But whatever, I had had it. Um, mm-hmm. And it was more out of impatience than it was the lovely, there's something I need to share with you about myself. It wasn't like that at all. It was, I want you to stop saying that shit because I am gay and that offends me. Mm-hmm. It was sort of that kind of tone. Uh, Those aren't the exact words, but it was close. And there was, and so the decision, so then we never talked about it again. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I mean, for years. Let's talk about that piece of it. So you never talk about it again, but so it's never used against you. It's never thrown back at you or was it in coded subtle ways? There were, um, some mom and I have a checkered history around that particular topic. There were things that got said and done even until, you know, like years and years and years beyond that. But in that time period, there was little things, little digs um, that, you know, were fighting words between the two of us. Mm-hmm. My father mm-hmm. was like, I, I think he couldn't see how it would affect him. So he didn't really, in fact, he actually did a radio show um, in Columbia again years later, but talking about having a gay son, he was, um, you know, more of a, an advocate. He went to the um, Methodist convention uh, with the intention of speaking out about the church's discrimination against gay people and they weren't allowed to speak. And he kind of quit Methodist church over it. Um, Like, so he had his own sort of road to go with it. It was more sort of civil libertarian than, you know, ever asked. Nobody in my family has ever asked me if I'm seeing anyone. Like there's never been that kind of relationship to me being gay, but there has been a growing acceptance of me being who I am um, over the years. And my father, when I went to, after I graduated from college um, 
and was going to go to New York. The closest my father ever came to talking to me directly about it was he asked me to come into his office and he put down a, a, I think it was Newsweek magazine and the cover story was about AIDS and I was going to New York and he was concerned about that. And I said, oh, don't worry. That's not a problem. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm on to this. So, um, but that was as, that was as much as really we ever really talked about it again, but you know, and I don't know, like, I, I don't want to fault myself for it because I did what was right for me in the moment, but I, I was sorry that it wasn't a more sort of, I want to share this special thing about myself with you rather than, um, you know, stop saying that shit. It pisses me off. I'm a gay person and that's rude. Um, or whatever version of that that I said. You know, you know me. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv. And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page, you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And thedinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. I guess the main thing to know is that nothing ever happened with Roy. I never told him. That would have been been way too big, like 1970, I don't know, whatever. The early 1870s was way too early to be uh, telling people that you were gay in high school in Columbia, South Carolina. Maybe anywhere, but certainly there. So I didn't do that. I didn't really do the the big out thing. I didn't date girls. I didn't do the, you know, I didn't no, pretend no, to be yeah. something that I wasn't. And I don't know that that is pretending to be something that you weren't, but I was pretty sure there was one girl in high school who I thought if I was going to have a relationship with a girl, maybe it was going to be her and it didn't work out. We talked about it and it really didn't work out. She probably was like, yeah, he's so he's gay from space. I'm not doing this. Um, <laughs> and there were girls yeah. who said, well, you should try it. And I was like, that's so disrespectful. You know, I, I you're not an experiment. You're a friend of mine. So, no, I'm not going to try it mm-hmm. to see if, it. you know, like. But it, really, I was never inspired to. I. Pamela always used to um, shake those bodacious tatas at me and go, anything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would mm-hmm. go, no, sorry, nothing. All my straight guy friends, my agent at the time, were jealous of me. Yeah, I um, dated a lot of women. I, I don't yeah. know. I'm a, I'm a but testament to the But you also had actual spectrum. sexual relationships with women. I, I, I did, I think you're yeah. just not a gold star gay. I'm not a gold star gay. What's a gold star gay? I, it, you know, it just means never anything but a boy. Like I've never, yeah. like, it's always been same sex for me, but yeah, I, I look back on those experiences and I think, was I, was I, um, bisexual? Like I don't identify as bisexual today. Uh, the experiences were not horrible. They, I didn't feel like I was forcing myself, but I have to say the comparison between a sexual encounter with a female versus the first one truly with another male that wasn't just adolescent fumbling and fooling around. And I actually went on a date with a man and we went home after it was like lightning versus, um, a warm fire, you know, like it was like, which, which being which the man was like lightning and it made all the times with women feel like I was, you know, warming my hands by a fire. I don't mean to demean those women in that way. It's just a way of metaphorical way of talking about the quality of the, 
experience. Well, it was just a different experience. I mean, one of the things that I always point out is that there is no such thing as bisexual sex. You're right. either having same sex sex or you're having opposite sex sex, and you might like both, but there's not bisexual sex. It just means that you're open to both. So I think that is a bisexual sort of experience, mm-hmm. you know, like it wasn't an experience like of bisexual identity. Yeah. And it's right. like, I don't, you know, like it, and it, it's, it's tricky as a friend of ours likes to say, because it can make you feel like you're making a choice, you know, and it gets to that, that sort of insidious, homophobic language that says homosexuality is a choice but the but the choice was between something that was as rich and fulfilling as what all the straight people around me were experiencing and something that was not that that actually felt greatly diminished by comparison and so but as a young person I grappled with that and so my coming out was sort of hesitant and awkward because my coming out was I have a boyfriend not I'm gay and um, that's I, interesting. Who did you come yeah. out to? Like, how was that? How did oh, that happen? I, this story is so bougie and obnoxious. So we were on a senior. Uh, I, I, my parents decided to give me as a graduation present a trip to Italy, which was fantastic and wonderful. And I took a good friend with me. Wow. Uh, who didn't know any of this. And my my grandmother came and my aunt came and we went to Rome, Florence and Italy. And it was it was fantastic. But in my I had just started prior to this trip going to gay bars, which I could get into at 18 or the ones I could get into at that age. And I had met a boy and we had started dating. I put in air quotes. And by the third week of the trip, it was a month long trip. I decided I wanted to go home a few days early to be with this boy. And now I can, I can give you the foreshadowing here, which is I could, I think I could sense in an intuitive way. I was about to lose the boy that this was not the great grand summer romance that I thought it was going to be. But I walk into my father's hotel room and I say, I want to um, I'd like to go home early and and be with my boyfriend. And he was like he just stared at me because I said it like I'd like to go home early to make sure the dog is okay. You know, like I'm worried about the dog sitters not feeding the dog. Um, And I uh, remember the look on his face. And he said, okay, is that what makes you happy? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, that the boyfriend thing, fine. But this is your trip and we're all here because of you and you're not leaving early and there's only a few more days left. So please. <laughs> so tough it out. So I would tell the story over and over again. And he, of course he told my mother and the next day she came up to me and we were outside this monastery and she said, I want you to be sure about this. And I want you to read my novel, Cry to Heaven, because it's about sexual identity and it's about and at the time I was like she's just telling me to read one of her books but what she was telling me was that it embodied everything that she believed about sexual identity and bisexuality and homosexuality it's and a pretty forward thinking book yeah and I was like I, I remember I made a go at it and, but anyway so I would tell this story on radio shows and in interviews and stuff about how well my dad was really okay with it and my mom had the bigger reaction and wanted me to sort of investigate and think about it and all this stuff. She wasn't sending me to reparative therapy or anything like that. But she finally said to me, Christopher, if you tell that story like that one more time on the radio, I'm going to call in and I'm going to tell them what your father really said to me when you left the room, which is, I feel like I've been kicked by a mule. <laughs> you know, because like, that's how he really took it. Now, what a blessing that he shielded me from that reaction because yeah. a coming out to your parents is always going to hinge on your parents' conception of what a gay person is in their minds. And they're going to see you as joining that imaginary group. And if that imaginary group or their construction of that identity is based in ignorance, a lack of exposure, or bigotry, the more hostile and violent their reaction because they will be participating in that bigotry. I think that's all pretty true. I think what was happening front of mind for both of my parents, this was 1996, protease inhibitors were a brand new and still experimental HIV treatment. Yes. They had lost many friends to AIDS, similar to your dad slapping the Newsweek down on the front desk and saying, this is what you're heading towards in New York. It was very much what they were afraid of. And they were progressive liberal people. We had left the Castro district right as the AIDS epidemic was, was exploding 
And so I just think it was very much tied in their minds and in a way that it would probably not be uh, today. I will say, like, we were commenting on the stories that we did get on the Facebook page, the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page, and I think we noted the lack of, of trauma in a lot of them. They weren't all considerably younger people, but many of them yeah. were. And I, we didn't, we didn't get anybody who said they were, I, I didn't read anything that was like the coming out stories that I used to hear when I was newly out at the gay bars, people thrown out of their houses, beaten, uh, threatened, yeah, hideous. sent to church I, I've heard camp. terrible I mean, stories. I, I hate those sorts of things. I, I will just say this about your story as as viewer from the sidelines, um, if you had been a young woman and told your father abruptly in conversation, um, like, you know, take out the dog, um, that you had given up your virginity to some young man in the backseat of a 1950s Studebaker <laughs> in the car, he would also have felt like he had been kicked like a mule. Like yes, right. the awareness of your children's sexuality has got to land hard with every parent. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one of the things I always tell people who have asked me for advice about coming out is remember you have, you hadn't because you were still pretty young, but in many cases people wait until their twenties or sometimes even later. Um, and you have not told them the truth for all this time. So you've had a long time to get used to this idea and they mm-hmm. haven't. So right. allow them at least a portion of the time you've allowed yourself to begin to accept it. Your father was some of his dearest friends were gay men and you grew mm-hmm. up, you lived in the Castro and you went with him to the Castro theater and to restaurants and uh, establishments around that neighborhood. So I, I didn't know the man, but like seems to have been one of the least homophobic people I can possibly think of. Absolutely. Your mom is, you know, completely. My mom's gayer than I am. Absolutely. She is a gay man. Um, I, she, so yeah, I, I, that's, yeah, you, it was a pretty receptive environment. So I wouldn't look for, um, for reasons to be like the, the part, I, yeah. the part of the story that makes me cringe is me demanding to go home earlier for a trip that was basically planned by me and a gift to me. It was like, how ungrateful can you fucking be? He dumped me right after I got home. The story was that his the, his boyfriend had dumped him and or they had broken up and he had moved away to, you know, it was just a series of 19, 18 and nineteen year olds making lousy choices. But he was going to go be a poet. That was literally the plan. He was going to go. He was first. He was going to work at Disney World. Then he was going to go and be a poet, like and you do. He, he came back to town and basically demanded that he get back together with him. So I was toast, and so my big summer romance was over in a, in a you know like a week. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like but, you were just being immature and a kid. And I love that your father said. You know, that he differentiated. Is that what you, that's that what makes you happy? Then great. Yeah. On the gay thing, fine. That's terrific. But on the trip thing, no, we're all here because of you and you're not going home early. It's just another couple of days. But, Knock but it me, off. That I was good see, parenting. And let me say this, though. The number of people in my life that said to me in what they thought was a loving and compassionate way that they thought I was doing it for attention. I even had gay people say it to me. Like, I'm sorry. I think some of that was, I don't know, maybe that I don't think they were paying that much attention to me, but they had some awareness that I had really had sexual experiences with women. They thought I wasn't a gold star gay, you know, like, like you said earlier, but it was like of all the things to do for attention. I mean, that's the thing that I used to say back to homophobes who would say, this is a choice. Like, right. Why would I pick this? This is so much harder. Like it's so much harder. Like, why would I pick something a road that's this difficult, you know, just for attention. Anyway. Yeah. At the very least, if I didn't have to date men, why would I want to? Yes. I, <laughs> that's what you always say. The hardest part about being a gay man is not the homophobia. It's the other no, gay men. It's having to date gay men. My God, or just men. I, Jesus yeah, Christ. Men. Fuck yeah. Men. Men. Way, um, I've been treated way worse by other gay people than I ever have by straight people or anybody else. Like, Jeez, yeah, like, yeah, that that is definitely the, the uh, the big uh, 
untalked about surprise side of being gay. The other thing is the whole notion of the belief that this is how you should be gay. My God, I want oh, to strangle people. Oh my God. Well, you don't yes. even do Santa or you don't like Santa. Like, okay, well, so what, what does that have to do with it? Yeah. Uh, like no, that, I can't even, uh, yeah. You know, go and go with God and do whatever you want to. I, I don't care. Like, but don't tell me how to be gay. That just makes me crazy. Yeah. It's like, like this isn't challenging enough. Yeah. What Absolutely. I need is you judging me for how I'm doing it. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, yes. Okay. So let's get into some of the coming out stories that we, that we did get. From Absolutely. Our let's get off our, um, our, um, high horse and all of our complaints about our difficult lives and talk about the wonderful lives of our beloved party people. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So this is from Jesse Colton. He's one of our senior party people oh, who's I, been I, with I, us for a right long time. Right from the start, absolutely. He long says time this. So my coming out story is both lighthearted and a bit sad. The truth is, I knew when I was a little boy that I really liked other boys, particularly lanky, nerdy, freckled guys. <laughs> I love that he had a type right from the start. And I love that it was lanky, nerdy, and freckled. Um, absolutely. Good for him. But I didn't quite understand why I liked them so much. It didn't occur to me I had crushes on them. The first boy I ever liked was a classmate in first grade named Wesley who was playing in a sandbox with me, and he described what he'd made in the sand as, quote, a complete monstrosity. (laughs) Mind you, this is a seven-year-old saying these words. And I was so incredibly intrigued by such a big word in his intelligence that I immediately liked him. Later on, when I was 13, I found Will and Grace. I used to record sitcoms on VHS tapes so I would have something to watch on the (laughs) weekends. On a lark, I recorded an episode of Will and Grace, and over the weekend, I watched and rewatched that episode probably 10 times. And it wasn't like a huge unexpected revelation or anything. I just saw Jack and went, oh, that's what I am. I'm Jack. And it made sense to me that I was gay. So I never had to struggle with wondering whether or not I was going to like girls because right there at the beginning of puberty, I understood. And it's largely thanks to Will and Grace. So about five minutes after I had this realization, I confidently marched into the kitchen where my single mom was sitting at the table. I spread my arms wide and theatrically declared, everyone listen up. There was no one besides her, by the way. I am gay. And my mom laughed and thought it was a joke until I told her I was serious, which led her to more or less disregarding it and giving me the same line. So many gay kids here. You're too young to know that you're gay. You don't even know if you like girls. You've never had a girlfriend. Haven't met the right girl yet. Mm -hmm. And then sadly enough, no son of mine is going to be gay. Oh, sorry. Eventually at 15, I fell truly in love for the first time. It was mostly unrequited from a guy who was mostly straight. Oh, I hear this. (laughs) Oh, I've dated him. Uh Uh-huh. So I pretended that being gay had been just a phase. So my mom would let me spend some time alone with him without getting suspicious. I very briefly tried being straight once again in high school. I found out that my best female friend had gotten high at a party and admitted she had a crush on me. And I think I honestly just liked that someone had a crush on me. So I very dramatically got on one knee and asked her to be my boyfriend, proposal style. <laughs> she laughed and said, I like very that dramatically. All that seems the phases to be the key of the co- coming out rainbow. Uh, the next day in the hall, we were walking and holding hands. We stopped in the stairwell and she leaned in to kiss me completely unintentionally. I drew back and made a face like I was grossed out. He is and Jack. Then we, 
We both awkwardly turned and walked in separate directions. At the end of the day, I found her and said, I need to tell you something. And she said, you're still gay, right? And I said, how did you know? And she said, I kind of gathered that. She and I are still friends today. Ironically, I actually have kissed her plenty of times afterwards, mostly to get on her high school boyfriend's nerves. That was, I liked the, the, I liked all the places that Jesse went on the coming out rainbow there. Right. It's the complete, but I also love the mention of Will and Grace. Like maybe not my favorite show, but like a show with a gay lead in it. Like, oh my God, how important that is for gay kids to be able to see themselves represented in the media. You know, like I'm still waiting for us to get around to finally having the gay hero lead character, but you know, we'll get there or I hope so. Um, But having positive representation in the media is just being allowed to exist a bit, seeing that you're not alone. I I had the same experience with seeing um, Billy Crystal in soap when I was mm-hmm. a kid and mm-hmm. reading that wonderful book by Patricia Nell Warren, where it was like, Oh my God, the front you know, runner, I'm correct? not the front runner. I am not alone. I am. There are other people in the world mm-hmm. like me. Yes. So on the other side of the equation, we heard from a mother who had experience with her son coming out to her. Her name is oh, Sue Banner. Sweet. Her son is an author. I'm actually a fan of his work. Daryl Banner. She writes, well, hello, Eric and Christopher Rice. I think we both have the name. I think she thinks we're married. (laughs) Hello. Um, Chris has chatted with me before as my son, Daryl Banner, sent him books that he wrote, which he did at my request after I praised one of his books online. We were also supposed to be in an event that was canceled this summer because of the coronavirus pandemic. Unfortunately, that was Book Bonanza, but I'll be there next year. We're planning on it. It'll be in Dallas, Texas. Um, this story is Daryl's, but I was After there to the help cure. him through, through the past 21 years. He came out to me tearfully on his 15th birthday after being unceremoniously outed at school. Overnight, he became the butt of jokes, was harassed oh daily, and lived oh in fear in our small Texas town. I found yeah. a youth group forum and his friends that was affiliated with PFLAG, and together we faced the world. I became uh-huh. a PFLAG helpline mom for 15 years. And we marched in his first pride parade together. Our home became a safe haven for all gay youth in our area. And today he writes gay romances that take place in a small Texas town, but free of homophobia and racism. I love that. What a great story. What What a great great mom. mom, Right? Yay. Wow. I can't even imagine. Like, yeah. yeah, Join PFLAG and marched in the parade with him. Wow. I like the home becoming the safe space for all the gay people in the area. Right? Yeah. Well, that was probably true for me too, but nobody was copping to it. <laughs> oh, okay. So um, this one I really like because it's different from the others, but uh, anyway, I'll just read it. And, and so this okay. is Anthony Giorgio Schmidt. My coming out was like the queer effect. I sat my mom down and said, I'm bisexual for about two minutes of my life. I think maybe he was bisexual or identified as bisexual for two minutes and then identified as homosexual. I'm not entirely clear on that. Then it started to rain queer all over because my best (laughs) friends in the world, Bubba and Jay, also came out. Then walking home from school one day, my brother said, I'm gay. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Like, you come out and then everyone around you comes everyone out, Everyone around you comes out. How cool would that be? I was in gay heaven at this point. I dated my first boy at 16. Well, I mean, broke up with my dance partner in a production of The Sound of Music and started dating Rolf, a.k.a. Todd, because he was so damn cute. Um uh, oh, wait, I think I flipped the wrong page and I'm about to start reading somebody else's coming out story. I, don't I am 16 anyway. going on 17. <laughs> but that was basically, uh, that was Anthony's tale, that he came out and everyone around him started coming out too, which I think is so cool. That was not how it went for me. And he says, Although, I love that I'm gay. I love that. I yes. think that is really like to get to have the opportunity to, to love being who you are. That's, that's the thing that I wish for gay youth. That's the thing that I hope I've had some minor impact on helping to make possible in the world. Right. 
Um, another story from the other side of the coming out process. This is from Mallory Ann. She writes, I was a freshman in high school and my friend and I were in a production of The Wizard of Oz. It was a really tough show. I had to make my own costume because I was plus size. Looking back on it, I don't feel I was that fat, but I was considered plus size. And I used the wrong shade of green. The producer said, I knew you'd mess this up and threatened to pull me from the show. Ah, God. My. Yikes. I was also the dance captain. I felt like a failure, but was happy to be with my best friend. He took me aside and told me that he thought he was gay. I told him I loved him and cared about him and that that's fine. And he gave me a hug. It was the first time we'd ever hugged, even though we'd been friends for over five years. I felt good that I was able to make someone feel good about themselves. No one should ever be ashamed of who they are. I think this feeling was amplified because I felt so useless. Anyway, we are still friends. I still love him. And now I work as a therapist for folks who identify as LGBTQ. That's great. And ask them. They can tell you what the right shade of green is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm like, God, what a dreadful producer. I'm what sorry. A creep. I, hope, I, I hope you're not still friends with the producer because they sound Particularly like Particularly really at that age, like A, that you were being asked to make your own costume to begin with and B, to like then be shitty about it to some kid who was trying to make their own costume. Like if you managed to make your own costume at all, I would think that would be like I would cheer also, you're willing to th- kick out your dance captain because of the wrong shade of green in a costume? That's not a good producer. We immediately go to the grievance and the anger part of Mallory's right. story. We are going we're to litigate still, this. We are still Irish. When you get right down <laughs> to it. Irish scrappers. We're Irish scrappers. Absolutely. We are looking for trouble. Okay, I like this next one because it's like the Forrest Gump of coming out stories. It travels through the <laughs> generations. Uh, This is from Paul Marchesano. My story is an odd one and worthy of one of those lovely books you feature from the bathroom. I believe Paul is referring to my bathroom bookstore video series, which I do every day we post a new episode of this podcast. I post it on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I wrote a lot of those books, so maybe he means one of mine. You have prominent placement in the uh, bathroom bookstore. Prominent and permanent. Excellent. Okay, he says, in fact, a a bathroom is where my story began at 16. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. I am of an age that I had one foot in the tail end of the wild, decadent time of the 70s, but was too young to be a clubber. I found adventure in tea rooms and theaters. I lived through the switch from legal drinking age of 18 to 21. I was legal at my home in New York and then illegal when I moved. I found bars in Philadelphia when I went to college. And in the beginning, I was the guy who looked over his shoulder carefully and walked up and down the alley with the bar and bookstore on it to be sure no one normal spotted me entering the dens of pleasure and decadence. I quickly adapted and became a regular fun favorite at the dance clubs. Before a friend dragged me onto the dance floor, I'd never danced anywhere. My first night of it, I danced for four hours almost nonstop and ended up shirtless. Being chubby, that was a major event. Shocking. At some point along the way, around 20 to 21 years old, I stopped using specific... Ooh, this is really... uh, This one takes me back. I I stopped using specific pronouns about dates or love interests because I decided Uh, I wouldn't lie anymore. But I never had it coming out, right? You remember? It was like, well, I remember you could always tell. It was like, oh, well, he's gay. I had the mo- I'm going to stop for a second. I had the most awkward, and this was not too long ago, where I said my I was referring to my boyfriend as my partner to a, a real estate agent of my mother's, and and he kept assuming it was a business partner and wanted to know what business we're in, and so finally I was like life partner. <laughs> it like just came ripping out in the most awkward way possible. But anyway, many <laughs> friends didn't believe I was gay because they said I could pass. The others laughed at that wow. and said. Girl, you couldn't pass a dump truck with five lanes around it. (laughs) Eventually, I decided also that neutral silence was not acceptable. Hear, hear. I was spotted at Gay Pride in the mid-1980s on the local news. I have heard this story so many times of people being spotted on the news at Gay Pride. uh, By colleagues in the choir at church. 
I smiled and said what a wonderful party it was and how fantastic that so many tens of thousands of people were there and that the sitting mayor of Philadelphia was a guest speaker. I suddenly, in my late 20s, became that, quote, older queen who everyone felt they could confide in. <laughs> in your late Ouch. 20s. The one of the, who was struggling with their own story. The one... Who, who those who were struggling with their own story could talk to in confidence without my own. I became the chaperone to many others coming out parties still am in many ways. I'm happy with that. I do miss the wild days. We had a lot of fun. The bars and clubs were much more social and friendly. I um, don't go out to bars or clubs and are having in a while, but I have heard that grinder and the cell phone have completely um, before this pandemic took hold, completely altered night gay nightclub culture. Well, and I would think that the mainstreaming of gay has altered gay knife like culture too. You don't need to go to a gay bar to be gay. You can right. be gay wherever you want to be gay now. And that, that, you know, is part of the, I don't know, the unasked for, I don't see it as a consequence. I think it's a benefit. I was always, you know, I want to dance with my boyfriend at the rainbow room. I don't want to right. dance with him at some little, you know, hideaway. I, it's about being that, you know, having that kind of freedom and um, mainstream acceptance that I think is probably going to, because otherwise it's, it's remaining mired in a sort of second class um, ghettoized culture. I, I love, you know, the neighborhood that we live in, but it, I'm so glad that it's no longer my entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I remember visiting, um, this sort of Tony gay beach destination, Fire Island, the Pines on Fire Island, which is just off the coast of Long Island near New York City. And I went there when I was younger and it was just, it was teeming with, with gays and it was sort of furtive, but it was also, it was like our place because it was a, it's a barrier island and there are no cars and it's like, it's sort of cut off from the world and it, you feel like you could just do whatever you want. Um, right. So I went back to Fire Island Pines recently and I spent time with old friends and they talked about the people who didn't feel the need to come back anymore. Because this is where you would either rent, you would typically rent a share in a beach house and you would have every other weekend or a few weekends out of the summer and uh, you would hop on the train and come out from New York City. And these couples or individuals were saying, I don't need to go there to be gay on the weekend anymore. I can go to Connecticut. I can go to the Hamptons. I can go to these other places. Right. And I thought, wow, even here, you know, like this is because it was a nice place. It wasn't, you know, it, it, it's it. it yeah. But it was the confinement that was getting to people. It was the sense that I could only go to this one location to be who I was. And that yeah, was, and I think we're kind of spoiled living in West Hollywood because I've always said people come to pride here so that they can be for a weekend, what we get to be all year round. So there was a certain amount of that, um, in this, but yeah, I hope that that's sort of reverberating across the world now and that more and more people are free to be themselves wherever they are. Yeah. I I hope so too. But I think there, there is going to be an impact on, older communal spaces and locations that some of us used to value. I'm, I'm not really, I wish I had had another option than nightclubs and bars when I first came out. Like I was kind of a party animal. So I naturally gravitated towards that option. But I think if there had been something else, if I could have comfortably taken a gay boy to prom, if I could have done all those other things, right? I maybe, you know, like I, and, and I'm never going to stand opposed to something that presents other options to particularly young gay people socially. I'm not really, I don't think grinder is the replacement to be frank. Like I don't think simulated. That's about what you're going to the bar for. You know what I mean? If you're going to social genuinely to socialize with people and whatever, like that you literally can do anywhere else. But if you're looking for the hookups and I think that created a sizable portion, maybe 50% of the trade at the, um, at the gay bars was about, being able to pull, as they say, you know, yeah. you're going to meet somebody and go home with them. That's not necessary anymore. Grinder and the internet and all of that has made that um, so much different and so much more efficient, if you will. It also made the bars back in the day, I think, fascinating cross sections 
of people because that really was what they had in common. I mean, obviously the bars would segment by taste. Sometimes you'd have a leather bar, you'd have bars that were more about sort of sex club adjacent places, but then you'd have bigger gay bars that brought together like, it was like a survivors of a shipwreck thing. The only thing they had in common is they were there because the other gays were there. So they could be rich, they could be working class, they could be of different races or whatever. Um, they weren't always the most welcoming spaces if you were not white, to be frank. But it, it was it was an interesting, like state kind of boys from the band stage set, you know, environment. Yeah. And they had you know, they had neighborhood gay bars in New York back when I lived there a million years ago, that were like you know it's it was your local it was your Cheers bar it was your local place to go hang out it wasn't Uncle Charlie's it wasn't the big dance bar hookup bar it was just literally a bar. You right. know, maybe a couple of tables. It was about 12 feet wide and as long as the building was. And, you know, there was a long bar you could sit at and people would go have a drink after work and meet friends and whatever it wasn't. And that kind of conviviality, that really was something that probably is, you know, becoming more and more a thing of the past because you can just go meet your friends at whatever bar you want to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we didn't have time to get through everybody's coming out story, but I'm sure we'll probably have use for them on future episodes. We want to thank everybody who responded, even the people who weren't entirely clear that we wanted you to write your coming out story <laughs> on the Facebook post. Sorry um, if that wasn't clear and maybe we even given you more time. You, you'd have gotten that out there. We'll, we'll try and do better too, but we always appreciate hearing from you guys, whatever it is, whenever you feel like posting. Uh, we are back with Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club next week. And this is our standard True Crime TV Club. I'm not going to call it a disclaimer, more of a preface, that our role on True Crime TV Club is to break down the episode in such steaming detail that you feel like you've watched it and you don't need to watch it before you hear our discussion of it. But if you would like to study ahead and get extra credit, the show we will be discussing... <laughs> is an episode of a series called The Case That Haunts Me. The Murder uh, murder Around the Campfire is the episode title. And that's right, in because it's pri- as Pride Month come to an, comes to an end, we thought it would be nice to just do Summer Vacation now. Yeah, we were Summer through, Vacation we're through, with Murder. With, <laughs> <laughs> a murderous Summer Vacation, season and one. I interrupted you. Yeah, That's okay. See, I just want to get season one, episode eight out. And I want to say it's really weird, and this might be cosmic, Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't know how you feel about this, but the last True Crime TV Club that we did, the episode was season one, episode eight. I actually had to go back and look at our, our notes and be sure I hadn't just repeated the seat. But, whoa, man, it's like the true crime singularity. Yeah. Are you totally asleep? did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It's All the right. singularity. It's the singular. It's the singularity. Gay. That didn't work. That didn't work. Not all your material it's a, works. It's blood soaked summer. At Christopher and Eric, talk about Christopher and Eric. <laughs> talk about Christopher and Eric. Christopher and Eric on the Christopher and Eric show. I'm Christopher Rice. <laughs> That's our that's our cue for our closer, Eric. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS presents Christopher and Eric. This is TDPS.